that's the big thing. Both be patient and be dogged in defending what your community needs. And you'd be surprised. Voices can be heard. And if you don't have your voice heard, right, the retirees who have nothing but time on their hands are going to make sure their voice is heard. This is a project for the future. So how do we make sure families and younger people are heard in this process for how we build a different kind of America going forward? This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsu Politics. Hello, everyone. Welcome. On today's episode of Pantsu Politics, we're going to talk about the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act literally being signed into law by President Biden as we are recording this show. We're bringing back fan favorite, Adi Tomer, who joined us for our summer infrastructure series to talk to us about what is actually in the bill, what it means for us, what it means for our children, even our children's children, I'm gonna go that far, and how to talk about it out in our communities or perhaps around the Thanksgiving table. Outside of politics, we're going to share our recent experience at the University of Alabama football game. And of course, if you want to go all in on infrastructure and you missed our summer infrastructure series, Infrastructure in Real Life, please go check it out. We put the link in the show notes. We tackle electricity, water, transportation, and new infrastructure like broadband in our four-part series. We're really proud of it. So if you missed it this summer, right now is the perfect opportunity to check it out. And then we have another piece of content related to infrastructure we wanted to tell you about. Our fantastic longtime listener, friend, supporter, Beth Shom, has created a teaching guide for our infrastructure in real life series. It's very professional. It has like all the fancy standards that your lessons are supposed to meet. When I first talked to Beth about making this, she said, well, like, I don't really like teaching guides, so I'm having trouble figuring out how I'm going to do this. But that is what made her the perfect person to do it because she has real world experience with what is helpful and what is not helpful and what will give you a starting point if you want to use these infrastructure and real life episodes in your classrooms. We know we have lots of teachers out there. We are trying to think in every way we can about how to support all you teachers out there in the midst of a rough school year. And so we hope that this might be a helpful way to bring these topics into your classrooms. And we will put that link in the show notes as well with eternal gratitude to Beth. And really quickly before we dive in, we have our holiday huddle this Thursday. We are so excited to sit down and have conversation with all of you about how to navigate difficult conversations, hot takes, all of the things at our family gatherings and during the holiday season. Your ticket allows you to play the event for seven days. So even if you can't join us Thursday night, we hope that you will catch the conversation later and we hope to see you all there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code Podcast 15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. 
I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. So we are going to break our conversation with Adi into two parts because it's so good. He's so lovely. Adi is a senior fellow at Brookings Metro and leads the Metropolitan Infrastructure Initiative. So without further ado, here is Adi Tomer. Adi, thank you for spending time with us again. Okay, let's just talk about what is actually in this bill. You wrote a very helpful summary that identified three major areas, internet infrastructure, climate change, long distance travel. How would you have us orient ourselves around those three pillars? So the the bill is huge, first of all. It does a ton of stuff and a ton of different categories. So in some ways, it's exhausting to even summarize this thing. And I, I dare anyone to read it and make it through more than a few hundred pages. If this <laughs> is not, this is not the most dynamic sleeping. prose you've ever read. Um, let me break it down like this. On broadband which is really like our kind of like our digital cardiovascular system, right? Like in a sense, mm-hmm. like everything we want to do, whether it's autonomous vehicles or smart utility meters inside your house. So you, you save power, right. Or, or telling you, Hey, you left that faucet on or your kid left that faucet on again. Right. It all requires broadband. We are making easily the largest broadband investment out of Washington, like to go to the rest of the country in our nation's history. This is basically it. It is the first big broadband investment. And, you know, depending on how you want to capture those numbers, because it's even bigger than that, it's at least 65 billion. Oof. So that's one. Second is responding to climate change, both through mitigation and adaptation. Here's what I mean by that. Mitigation means, hey, let's, let's burn less fossil fuels, right? That's clearly causing more greenhouse gases. Um, so effectively reducing how much we're hurting the planet Adaptation means, and I say this as a Floridian, it's like, hey, by the way, like the coast is like eroding and it's Mm -hmm. flooding more and we need to move right now while we try to solve the other problem up front too. So this bill does both. It mitigates and it adapts and it does it in a ton of different ways. You could easily call it over $100 billion in focused climate change or resilience or sustainable, whatever words you want to use. I don't get political on this one. So (laughs) just saving the planet, right? We're making a huge investment in that. And it's really important to say really quick, the reconciliation budget they're still talking about, that will do far more on climate. So that's where we're going to see the like electric car infrastructure is in the reconciliation, right? Even more. Beth and I may be on Teslas. We're very invested in this. Okay. (laughs) That's right. So there's a little bit here. It's, It's the appetizer. For like the entrees coming in the record. Okay. Okay. And then the final one, Beth, as you point out, EJA is still, or that's the acronym DCers are using, it's primarily meaning the biggest chunk of it, it's a transportation bill. So there's a ton of investment in high speed rail um, that's going to connect communities, let's say, even faster than they already are, like Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington, right? Ooh, I like or, that. I know the DC types, folks in the Northeast corridor are going to be happy. Folks in probably the mid, the like Great Lakes kind of northern Midwest, hopefully should be happy. They're going to probably see serious investments there. So there's 66 billion dollars in passenger rail investment. Um, public transportation, even though it got cuts that public transit advocates didn't want, still gets 39 billion dollars. 25 billion in airports, 16 billion in ports and other kind of seaborne trade infrastructure. So I could go on. It's kind of boring. It makes num- these numbers almost like your eyes start to gloss over yeah. them. And it's easy to forget. I say this myself when you're looking at these, each one of those categories are transformational, yeah. either for the communities where they're built 
for the people that benefit, right? Especially, you know, if you don't have broadband in your home and now you will, I mean, that can change a student or an adult's life. And for the whole country, especially on those climate focused investments where there's real scale, I mean, we really could see, look back on this moment as the time we kind of, we kind of turned the ship and really built America for the 21st century, you know, not continue to live in the 20th. Here's my question. When you look overall at those, and I don't know if we need to talk about this per each of those categories, but like what's, what percentage is going to fixing things that are broken, which we've always heard a lot about with infrastructure and what, what percentage is going to building new things? That's sort of my question. It's such a good question, Sarah. So the answer is both. The answer is we won't know until the work's done. Okay. And, and then the third part of the answer is it depends on each one of those categories. Yeah. So let me give I you figured. two really quick examples. Number one, the biggest thing in the act is transportation. The biggest thing under transportation is roadways and highways. There has been a critique from us and um, you know the rest of the, the, the nerd mafia, right, for <laughs> over a decade. Hey, stop widening your highways yeah. and start making sure we got no potholes on those highways. So mm-hmm. what's said in more official terms is called a fix-it-first policy. This bill does not have it. So let's say like a Kentucky or an Oklahoma that's been notorious for continuing to wind their highways and ignoring maintenance, they're probably going to do it. California, Massachusetts, right? And you can see the political alignment here a little bit at the state level too. They're probably going to focus on maintenance. So what we're going to see is, yeah, probably a lot of maintenance done, but probably a lot of places won't do maintenance when they should. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. In other sections of the bill though, especially let's say like Western water and wildfire management. You could consider that a form of maintenance, right? Like we yeah. need to protect these communities out West. We need to protect actually the rest of the country because when those fires burn, we all inhale that smoke further yeah, east, so true. right? So, and the same thing for, hey, if we've got we've got a problem with, let's say lead pipes, right? We need to replace those lead pipes. So a lot of the overall package has e- either purposeful or a, a set of program that leads you to maintenance anyways. But- when it comes to building out new broadband networks, right? We're going to, we need to build new. So it, the thing is so big, you almost can feel it already. The answer to almost every question is like, well, it's a little bit of everything, right? Like, so <laughs> just a big, it's a big bill. You know, we're not used to this kind of stuff. When we hear big bill, we've got a percentage of our audience that is like, yay, I want all the big bills. Keep the big bills coming. (laughs) And then we have people for whom these kinds of answers are really uncomfortable and the numbers themselves are really uncomfortable. First of all, with the numbers, how much of a compromise do these numbers feel like? And the second part of my question is what kinds of controls are in place to make sure that this doesn't become a wasteful field day? Infrastructure spending is basically the best bang we get for our buck, not just in the United States, almost everywhere. And when I say that is, there's two things. I'm not getting my own politics into this. I hear you, Beth, completely. Like, you know, for listeners out there, you can decide what you want to assign on this. The single best thing we do is income-related policy. Put money in people's pockets because you know what? Just like every one of us, whether we're high income to low, we know what to do with money. So mm-hmm. when you give people money, good things happen. The next most impactful thing is building infrastructure. Here's why. Infrastructure, unlike putting cash in our pockets, where we may invest in ourselves, but more than likely, let's say, especially for those who are most in need, you're going to go buy diapers for your kids or make sure you can afford daycare, right? It helps the whole economy run. And we saw like 18 months prior to now what happens when you shut down those essential services. Whether that's an investment is up, it kind of depends on how you look at it. Infrastructure, there's no, you don't need to tilt your head. It's an investment. Mm -hmm. And think about all the elements of infrastructure you're using both right now as you listen or you used it this morning when you woke up. Man, you didn't build those pipe, water pipes in your house. (laughs) You didn't build the electric infrastructure. You probably didn't build the broadband, although that was born 10 years ago. So you might know someone who kind of did some of it in your neighborhood. The roads have been there probably for over a century. They just get repaved every five to 10 years, right? So my point of saying this is, What's so cool about infrastructure is you build it now to help the generations down the road. Mm-hmm. So rather than folks who are, uh, I, I get being uncomfortable with numbers in, in public policy. And look, I'm not an objective person. I work in this space. But I would say, look, <laughs> if you're worried about big government spending, look somewhere else. This is not the area to, to be concerned with. And I'm not yeah. alone in that. There are a few areas you find where huge elements of 
national nonprofits focused on, let's say, social inclusion, huge fans of this bill. The Chamber of Commerce is a huge fan of this bill. Yeah, it's so true. Everyone likes this bill. The irony here is it polls really well, but it's not a strong political act, meaning like no one's going to win or lose probably an election on this. And maybe we'll talk about that. But the but in general, people, I think, are going to be happy with this. Now, whether the numbers are a compromise, you know, I'm not so sure. I I, I think they definitely are because it's a true bipartisan bill. You know, folks need to remember in, in case you, you know, you follow politics closely. You know, this was really written in the Senate, not the House. And in the Senate, you know, they got 19 Republican senators to vote for this. In modern day America, like federal Washington, that is as bipartisan as you can Including get. Mitch McConnell. McConnell loves this bill, man. Mitch McConnell has to use the Brent Spence Bridge for folks who are in the area. No, you know, Louisville, which, right, or excuse me, for Cincinnati, which covers both Ohio and Kentucky, right? I mean, this is, this is a big deal bill, right? He wants to address the locks and the dams along, mm-hmm. right, the rivers through the state of Louisiana. This is going to make huge investments there. You know, I think, I think it shows that Mitch McConnell is an old guard senator was like, yeah. wait, we're, we're talking politics about building infrastructure. Like this is an apolitical kind of sector. So I think what's in the bill is a compromise. I think the total is probably pretty close to where both uh, political parties wanted it. And the Democrats always knew they'd have one more chance at this through the reconciliation budget, mm-hmm. which, like I mentioned, that's where they're putting even more of their climate focused investments. And th- so you can see the politics of America a little bit in this bill where it's probably less climate focused as it should be. I would honestly say that, but that's because mm-hmm. ideally knock on wood, in my own words, we're going to get a version of that here in the next anywhere from one to 12 months or so. Well, and Beth is so good at pointing out, like we never had anything in the original version. That was an idea, guys. Like that was not promised to us. That was just a news story. We didn't have that. We have this. Like we should celebrate what we have, not what we promised and we thought we were going to get. And now we're mad we didn't. Like I'm just thrilled that we got this. Yeah. I don't want to break news on here in case we got kids listening. But um, when your parents decide what you get for Christmas, (laughs) you know know whether they bundle it up like a paper airplane and like fly it into the room and run away or they like straight up hand it to you and make eye contact. That's the start of a negotiation. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get everything on your list. No. And you know what? Us as parents, I got three kids. Like, you know what we do? We buy probably more than we originally planned to, right? Yep. It's a negotiation. We meet but less than they wanted. <laughs> and everyone should be happy with that. That's right. You know, And you know what? We are all happy on that morning. Or I'm actually, we're, we're a, a split religious family. So same thing on Hanukkah, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. so the reason I bring this up is that's right. You're, you're so right, Beth. Like the president put out a, effectively what we call a budget during normal years, right? That whole build back mm-hmm. better agenda. That's like what he ran for office on. That's like, I make the same joke. It's like kids running for student council promising things they don't even have a voice in, you know? Like, it's just, it's saying, hey, I'd like to see this. You know, President Trump had a budget that looked one way. President Obama right before him had a budget that looked very different. And Congress ends up doing things that actually are pretty consistent year to year. So that's right. We can't look back at that proposal as anything but someone who, yeah, is close to the action. Well, President Biden didn't have a vote on this, right? So whatever budget he proposes, it doesn't, really kind of matter outside of something for Congress to consider. I think once the reconciliation, you know, again, if it goes through and we stack these two bills together, I think what we're going to see is two things unquestionably. It is a, whether you like it or not, right, a far more progressive agenda for the United States, which reflects the mandate of what the voters asked for in 2018 and 2020 at the polls. Now, I don't want to be overly uh, sensitive to the current political moment, but chances are We will have new political voices in Washington after midterms. And then who knows about 2024? So they got a chance. This is their voice. This is what they want to see. It's going to be enormous. No, it is not as big as they probably would have originally proposed. But that's that's normal politics in Washington. I think that normal politics in Washington is a good framework for my next question, because I have sensed in all the political reporting that Sarah and I read and that we are grateful for. I'm not trying to dump on media here, but this tone of. Well, it took you long enough. We've just been waiting and waiting and waiting for this thing to pass. And it seems to me two things. One, that we just spent four years joking about it being infrastructure week Mm -hmm. because President Trump ran on a massive investment in American infrastructure that just never got done. And two, that when you're spending this much money, you're talking about generational investment. Everybody having some time to work through the details of that would seem to be a benefit to me. 
But I'm wondering how you have kind of taken in that that analysis. It feels fast to me. I don't know I'm why. Right. He ain't even been there a year. What the heck? That's right. We got different <laughs> leaders. Many of the folks who are the lead bill writers or negotiators and a huge credit. I know folks don't see them, but those of us who work in Washington know them. You know, all of the staff that actually wrote this bill. You know, I hate to also break news like senators and representatives do not write these actual bills, right? Mm-hmm. And people work for them who work tirelessly and negotiate with parties on all sides to get this thing done. And we, to your point, Beth, we wrote something right before the Trump team dropped their infrastructure plan in whatever that was, 2018 now, maybe. And the headline was, which we love, was an infrastructure bill is a Washington fantasy. Three years later, right? Like no time. We have an actual infrastructure bill. It is not a Washington fantasy. They delivered it. We have been waiting 20 years for this. So if anyone's going to complain about timing, kind of say, hey, where were you when we knew what the 21st century needed, when we knew about climate change in the early aughts, when we knew about what was coming with broadband in the early aughts, where were you, federal Washington? But but to say, hey, I wish we had this bill in April, like what, what does it matter? Like it, <laughs> this bill is going to last for over five years of construction. So meaning actual construction in the communities where listeners live, right? Including the three of us, right? So <laughs> I'm not I'm not in any hurry. In fact, I'm actually worried now that the bill's done, political pressures are going to make us try to go too fast. Mm. So we might build projects that someone drew up in the 20th century that no longer have, have the highest return on oh, investment. That's interesting. That aren't necessarily environmentally just, right? Or don't reflect the need to build out certain broadband capacities, right? And all of a sudden we're building the wrong stuff, you know? So ironically on infrastructure, you want to go slow because it lasts for so long. Mm. So how are you feeling about the news that he's appointed Mitch Landrew, the former mayor of New Orleans, to sort of oversee this? So we have sort of a a czar of infrastructure spending to make sure, because I mean, this is, I loved how you put this, like, this is just the end of the beginning. Now the work really starts. So what does this process look like? And is there any role for all of us to sort of keep responsibility where it belongs and not speeding up processes that won't have real impact in our communities? I love Mitchell Andrew. Uh, it's <laughs> oh, such, I'd love to hear that. It's such an inspired choice. And Americans should feel really, really good about it. His record is fantastic for dealing with a level of catastrophe that those of us who most, almost all of us are not actual leaders like that, but as residents, we cannot imagine. Yeah. And the reporting is consistent. You'll find on this where folks are like, it wasn't going well before him. And then he got there and the process just got efficient and projects started getting done on time. And he was listening to people, you know, there's a reason the Landrew family and Mitch in particular are so respected down in Louisiana, kind of across the aisle. Again, even which is not an easy environment, not an easy environment. It's not. And they, you know, they come correct. Like, I don't know how else Mm -hmm. to put it. Um, And so that's what we need in the United States Um, with a bill this big, we need to be smart both efficient, but not rush. Um, I think he is a great, great choice. What people can do in their communities on this is kind of twofold. Number one, you know, be patient. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's always that feeling of, Oh, like they're tearing up that road. I really, I need to go pick up my kid. I might be five minutes late. You know? Yeah. I get stressed about that too. But you know what you always feel once that works done? You're like, man, this road is really smooth. This feels great all of a sudden on my bike. You always feel it when you cross state lines too. You're like, oh, somebody taking a different approach (laughs) to roads around here. That's right. That's right. So A, be patient in your community. There's going to be a whole lot like proverbial like construction underway signs are going to be going up all over the place. Really about 12 months from now because it's going to take a whole lot of planning. But then once it starts, you're going to really feel it. But at the same time, be, be dogged. In, in fighting for your community too. Mm. This is real money to make real lasting change, but there's still politics at play at the local level on deciding what to build. Yeah, And I don't think I'm speaking out of school at all to effectively say, look, the closest interests to infrastructure projects are those who build them. And they would like to execute construction as fast as possible. Many times those people do not even live in the community where the construction's happening. I'm saying these are, you know, statewide or frankly, national, if not multinational firms, they just want to build. 
Yeah. So it's up to the community to tell them, hey, we want to build this. And if it's more complicated, well, then let's take the time to figure it out. You know, I'll give you an example, right? We constantly just want to repave roads and we need to do that. But what we're starting to learn are about urban heat island effects, where oftentimes communities that were, let's say, redlined, right, for uh, for property ownership or other really nasty kind of public policy moves are often the places that have the least amount of tree cover. So kids and other people who play outside get really dangerously hot. The properties get dangerously hot, so they require extra energy, if not malfunction, right, like their HVAC systems during warmer months, right? So we need to plant trees in those urban heat island affected neighborhoods. That's going to take some planning time if your community hasn't been planned to do it. This I'm looking at the chart of everything this, this bill provides. It will let places do that. But if we're rushing to just repave everything and not think about the tree cover, we need to plant in the years it's going to take to grow those trees. We're not right. doing it right. So that's the big thing. Both be patient and be dogged in defending what your community needs. And you'd be surprised. Voices can be heard. And if you don't have your voice heard, right, the retirees who have nothing but time on their hands are going to make sure their voice is heard. And so true. what they want is going to be asked for. Uh, it is important. This is a project for the future. So how do we make sure families and younger people are heard in this process for how we build a different kind of America going forward? If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Pansy. of investments do you think will follow this? I mean, that's one fantastic thing about infrastructure, right? It it has all kinds of externalities. And when I just think about what you said about building, building seems really hard right now mm. with supply chain issues, labor force issues. So, so what do you see coming in an exciting way in the wake of this investment? Oh, wow. It's such a great way to frame that, Beth. The easy part of the answer is there there this can be challenging to implement as you know, policy folks say it, but basically to get the work done. Government itself has to hire a ton of people, both inside federal Washington, in state capitals, wherever you live. And then frankly, like down the proverbial street at your city hall or county, you know, county office, they need to hire more people just to manage it. You know, think about it, it's like when all of a sudden, you know, ideally you've got you got too many bills going on. They're like all spread across your, you know, your, your desk. You got to figure out where, who to pay who, or it's tax season, right? Think like you just got to manage it. So just managing this much money is huge. Then we've got to hire a ton of skilled tradespeople. It's a huge opportunity for women, people of color to get really good paying jobs with low educational barriers to entry, but we got to get those people trained. We need contractors out there. We need plumbers and pipe fitters and all these fascinating jobs, right? And then third, you're right, Beth, we got to find materials for all this. So we need we need to buy new equipment. And yeah, there's some materials that don't have a shortage, but every advanced piece of equipment rolling off the assembly lines right now, anywhere in the world, includes computer chips and modems, just like other, other equipment that we all buy. So they are feeling the supply chain crunch on the kind of computing side like others. We've got to find enough input materials. We are going to need a ton of sand in America right now because that's essential for concrete. And so how are we going to get all that sand everywhere? So train lines, right? Like freight train lines and trucks are going to be booming, just moving stuff around. So there's a huge implementation left. That's in some ways the the easier part of the answer. You know, the the harder part is is making sure communities have that kind of bigger vision for for who they want to be, you know, and and where they want to go. We're going to see a real competition between places, which is, by the way, exactly what America is designed for. Mm. Places that think about how to use this money to look around the corner to say, hey, we want to have really competitive digitalized industries, right? Let's say like we want to be a focus for um, autonomous testing of different ideas, right? Or, or see what we can do with new kinds of sensors or places that focus on just maintaining their infrastructure rather than expanding in ways they shouldn't. They're going to be the big winners here, but we're not going to know for years and years down the road because there's definitely going to be some wasteful projects. There's no way around it. One of y'all kind of asked earlier too about it. I didn't directly answer. There, there, there has to be waste with anything this big, just like with any private company, by the way. Government right. is not bad at management. Right. It's just exactly. a different, they sell a different kind of product, right? Like it's just all management is done by humans. And we get more transparency and scrutiny of that government bad management than in the private Oh, that's sector. right. You just vote with your, you just vote with your, your wallet, right? And you just move to a new company. And I get it. You can feel kind of stuck if you're, you know, living in a state or a community that you don't like how they're managed. So it causes, it just like causes humans to get very angry. I get it. Um, but yeah, th- there's going to be human error. You're totally right, Sarah. And, but we can't know where that's going to be. Even, even if in past is not necessarily a precedent because we're always changing public sector leadership. You know, who knows how they respond to these opportunities? You know, what, what kind of communities maybe polit- for political reasons kind of question climate change out loud, but say all of a sudden, hey, they're giving us huge grants here. You know, take Texas for an example, right? massive impacts from that freeze last winter. And right, we're about to enter that season again. You know, huge damage in Houston from Harvey because they built in in floodplains and marshes. They should have never built housing in. How do communities like that actually respond now all of a sudden when they get federal resources to do so? That's the part, at least our team is going to be watching really closely. And it's going to be one of the long tails of in terms of storytelling that's going to come out of all this. Well, I'm wondering, you know, when you came on for our infrastructure series, we talked about you know, the infrastructure of employment, of expertise within these sectors, that they were aging sectors, those pipe fitters, the people who perform these jobs were lacking, right? And I'm wondering, like, if this is a, 
generational investment in the actual infrastructure, what's going to be the impact on these actual employees? Like, it, it feels to me like it is just, it's it's almost, you know, unavoidable that as we invest in infrastructure in this way, that we will see growths in these job sectors because there's just going to be money in jobs. And so will this also be getting at this problem, not just aging roads, but aging pipe fitters? Yeah, I think the unquestionable answer is yes, it will lead to increases in employment. And as you increase your employment and just naturally with the aging cycle and changing demographics of America, you know, there's going to be some more Benetton elements to who works in this workforce, right? It's going to be just less white. There's going to be more women and it's going to be younger. And by the way, all three of those things are fantastic. It's exactly what the country needs. You know, I have my own, which I have no problem saying out loud, but I just say these are my personal beliefs. Like not, not everyone needs to go to college. Like it's yep. just not, I've been there. And all that reporting on like the decreasing number of men that go to college because they see money to be made. Like, I just feel like this is a natural cohesion here between these two things that's going to happen. No doubt. And we've got you know, this bill will last at least five years. It'll take some time to finish the spending in communities. The reconciliation budget, which includes a lot of capital spending too, that will last likely about 10 years in many of those project categories. And then even once this project's done or this bill's done, there, there's probably gonna be another one behind it, maybe not as big. So my point being, I actually think we're about to go into a big physical investment stage in American history. It's We've really been due for it. And folks will tend to like these projects once they're done. So they often will be asking for more and we can afford it. Well, if we're going to do more of this, we need people to get the projects done. And it just feels sometimes life just has some beautiful symmetry, right? And this feels like a beautifully symmetrical Mm -hmm. moment where exactly like you said, Sarah, there are especially younger men who could really use these careers, right? There are people of color that could really use these jobs. And in particular, maybe it's a change of careers where it offers formal benefits, right? In different ways than they're, they're used to. We just can get more women into the skilled trades. There is nothing about skilled trades work that prohibits women from doing it at the same rate. And these are some of these jobs are just fantastic in terms of pay. I'm eager to see how we adjust, but this is similar to your last question too, Beth. I mean, some places may not focus on that. They may just look at spending money quickly and not think about their processes. So we're also gonna be watching, hey, who changes their workforce development systems and works with the broadly defined like education entities, right? To improve and widen that pipeline, right? Who thinks about how on the job training is gonna change? Thinking about the jobs of tomorrow because these jobs are digitalizing and we need people to have a better understanding of climate conditions, let's say, than we did for our parents' generation in the same job. So whoever innovates fastest, it's probably gonna be to their benefit. And we hope that those kind of, those best ideas, that's where one of America's secret sauce, right? Is the competition of ideas helps you figure out what works. And then because we have so many, there's so much more that ties us, that separates us culturally, that, man, it doesn't matter where you work like it, or like where you live. If you hear some state or community down the, you know, far away is doing something better, you'll copy it because why not? Right? Yep. So I'm hopeful that we both find out what works quickly and then get scale to those ideas as fast as possible too. So as we wrap up, I want to come back to the politics for a second because The framing of every headline that I read this morning about this infrastructure package was really popular legislation for a very unpopular president. (gasps) And I'm wondering, as we gather, (laughs) you know, as we gather around all kinds of tables in the next couple of months with friends and relatives and encounter just a true potpourri of media intake from those people in our lives, what would your talking points for the infrastructure layperson be going into those discussions about what's just been signed into law? I'm just going to add on to that because I just feel like let's bridge between governance and politics. Once in a generation opportunity to take that to make that bridge between governance that is popular and politics that has stopped being about governance. Yeah. Sorry. That's my soapbox. I know. I, I'm on. I, I can you make some room on that soapbox for me? I, uh, <laughs> Let me scoot down <laughs> just a little. <laughs> First of all, yeah. I mean, look. Everyone clearly needs to come armed to their Thanksgiving table with mm-hmm. some like change the subject lines away from vaccine mandates 
and uh, the genesis of Thanksgiving as a holiday. Clearly, I thought your infrastructure as bang for your buck. When you said that, I was like, that's one of them. Mark it down, everybody. Yeah. Put an underline in it. Infrastructure is the best bang for our buck. So my, my colloquial advice to everyone would be like, spend like a few hours, maybe while you're watching football earlier in the day before you get to the like three glasses of wine or three like beers into the Thanksgiving portion when it really can go off the rails. And mm-hmm. think about what are the physical parts of the neighborhoods, either where you live or your crazy uncle lives. Be like, hey, how about getting rid of those potholes, huh? Like yep. something that you just can have in your back pocket to change the subject. That's my colloquial advice. And I will absolutely be using that with my crazy family. <laughs> Look, far beyond me, you know, I work on the policy side or the governance side, not the politics side. Although I love, right, I love watching politics, you know, like entertainment, like side of it. It is really hard at the national level to, to have infrastructure drive any kind of political attitudes. We've seen this for generation after generation. And I'm not sure if this is going to be any different. So one of the things for folks to watch, and, and obviously your, y'all's listeners are amazing, and they clearly are, are following politics closely among a whole different set of issue areas. This is the one to kind of keep your eyes on because it'll be a slow burn if it's going to be successful. But proverbially, do the Democrats feel, figure out how to market this thing? And I mean market, like, you know, political marketing. And how can they leverage like ribbon cuttings? Because projects won't be done. So the or the proverbial, less the ribbon cutting, if that's the end of the project as the, the like golden shovel. The, the ground, groundbreaking. You know? Yeah, the groundbreaking. You know, how do they market that? What kind of, what kind of signage do they use? where it's actually under construction. I don't know if y'all remember those stimulus, the like oh, yeah, circle with, the, with like oh, the four yeah. icons in it. And it, it didn't really work. Um, I mean, in the marketing wise, like folks knew it was happening, but it didn't lead to political success for the Democrats after they passed the stimulus. So do Democrats learn the lessons from that, but also find a different intervention that can work all across the country? I think it's going to be a tough mountain for them to climb. And so what's... Re- the midterms feel awfully close to figure out the confidence mm-hmm. on this one. 2024 is going to be really the one to watch where, how can they ideally show progress on these projects? Hope that the economy is doing even better than it's doing right now. Cause by the way, the economy is not doing that right now, but we've somehow gotten a narrative that it is and try to use those as a combined springboard. If you're a Democrat, that is to show success. Ironically, for the Republicans, they may be trying to state claim to this this bill too. Mm-hmm. We saw this during ARP in particular, the American Rescue Plan, right? Yep. And there were a few reps. Oh, my congressman, it. it's Christmas in July. He voted against it. And look, you know, Americans, I don't blame them. Like, you don't need to follow what's going on in Washington. It's so far away. It doesn't feel like it touches your life. When it does, it doesn't feel like you have a voice in it because you kind of don't, right? It's so, there's so many voices, right? You know, however many, you know, multiple hundreds of millions of people can, can vote. So it's, it really does feel like a distant process. So how many Republicans are going to beat Democrats off at the past, which is would be my advice to them. Say, yeah, oh, these are federal projects. I built this. Mm-hmm. You know, watch, as you all brought him up earlier, because I mean, true political mastermind, I mean, you know, Senator McConnell's already out in front of this. Good luck yep. to any Democrats in Kentucky who want to claim credit for this bill. This is now Mitch's bill. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If the Brent Spence Bridge is working better, right, and roadways in and out of Louisville or Lexington are working better, and Mitch should get credit for it. That's right. I'm not politics. mad at them. Yeah. Because honestly, I don't want it to be, you know, my question is not even how do Democrats take credit for that? Although obviously as a Democrat, I'm motivated by that particular goal. It's how do we make sure people see this as positive government? How does the government get credit for this? Because part of our problem, part of the fact that politics is driven by identity is because people don't trust the government. And so how do we use this once-in-a-generation investment to build some trust in government? Government. I say this in my professional capacity, but more so my personal one. The older I get, the more I'm really, really angry at President Reagan for one particular yep. line, which you all probably know it. The, there's nothing worse in America than someone knocking on your door saying, I'm here from government, or I'm from government, I'm here to help. Yep. That's exactly what they're there for. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, we did a whole episode on Reagan. Don't even get me started. Oh, my gosh. And they didn't really mean it at the time. It was cute and it worked Mm. for them. 
And, but what it did was started an idea of virus and I stress virus here, not the yep. fun viral, like YouTube cat video thing. I mean, <laughs> virus that hurts us. Yep. And suddenly trying to do good things for the country that are apolitical, right. Or depoliticize these actions that are shared becomes nearly impossible and it's dangerous. Here's the silver line. I'm an optimist. So like, here's the silver line of this, you know, Gallup runs amazing polling consistently over time of confidence in different levels of government. And even back in 2004, confidence in both Congress and the presidency was so much higher than it is right now. I mean, it dropped from into a positive range into deep negative range, right? Mm -hmm. And now it feels long enough for a conversation that's been kind of feeling like forever. It was not forever ago, right? Less than two decades ago. But confidence in local government is actually ticked up in that time. So there's some weird like beyond me, you know, as in, you know, like I'm not a sociologist and certainly not like a politically oriented one, but there's something funky in the water here, right? <laughs> Where we have these national narratives that don't trust the other side, you know, zero sum game style competition. We're all, if you're not winning, you're losing like Ricky Bobby yep. stuff. Right. And then yet locally folks are like, well, we got to work together. I need the roads to yeah. be paved. Yep. And I don't know where that dissonance started or how to, how to unravel it, but infrastructure can help us get there. And I think you're right. So to, to maybe at least for myself to kind of end on, try to end on a high note is let us use both this investment, the ARP funding, which has a ton of small business and programming, the reconciliation bill, if it comes through again, to really help the generations to come on climate, let's use it to demonstrate competence and governance. Yep. And in particular, competence in activities that no one else is going to do for you. No one else is going to pave that road. No one else is going to make sure you got clean water, right? No one else is going to make sure we don't build in places we shouldn't be building, right? Or get tree cover on a street that really needs it, right? So it's a huge opportunity that's in front of us right now. And if we play this well, hopefully someone can also figure out the wedge issue on this that wedges us to a positive place and says, look, yeah. there's a lot more that connects us than separates us. I think the president who's in office right now partially won the election on that. And mm-hmm. we'll see probably in about three years, whether it's him running again or someone else, or who, again, whomever could be running on the Republican side too, if that becomes part of the narrative that, right, we need government to succeed as a common people. And I, I hope we can get there. I have my doubts, but I think the opportunity is certainly there in front of us for someone to figure it out. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Thank you so much to Adi for spending time with us on truly one of his busiest professional days as the entirety (laughs) of the media wants to hear from him about this infrastructure bill. We are so grateful. I think this is one of the most fun days we've gotten to record a podcast because we so often are talking about what our country needs. And today we have an actual answer to what our country needs and some momentum going into the future. So it was really fun to get to celebrate this milestone with someone who has Adi's level of expertise and who is just such a fun person to talk to. And if you want more of that expertise, lots of Adi in our infrastructure series. When I talked to him, I was like, oh, you're my new favorite. You coming back on this show. And so I brought him back. He'll be back again. So go check him out on the infrastructure series as well. Sarah, what is on your mind outside of politics? Roll Tide. Oh, y'all going to be some of y'all going to be so mad. I got to say it back, right? right? Roll Tide. That's how it goes. It's rude for me to not respond with my own Roll Tide. I just learned. And listen, if you are not an Alabama fan, and and there are lots of you, according to my DMs, don't turn off the show. Be cool. Be cool. They paid us to come. If another college wants to pay us to come and talk to their student government about how to have difficult conversations, we will come. We will partake in your traditions and customs proudly and talk about it on the show, too. But they just happen to be the ones this week, and they were lovely. I mean, it's always a win in Rome situation when we go to colleges because it is an honor to be invited into the sociological experiment that is any college or university. You just enter your own world. There is a language. There is a vibe. There are customs. Everything has layers of significance. And it's Mm -hmm. so fun. One of the professors that we had dinner with said, you know, what's the best thing about coming to a college town? And I said, it's just that. It's like going into another planet and you get to be a visitor and observe it all. And it's it's just a blast to learn from everyone. I have to say about that same professor that she teaches public speaking, which I fortunately did not hear before we gave our talk. (laughs) But she told me that we gave a master class in public speaking and that she had a whole list of reasons why. And that's my precise love language. So thank you, Angela, Professor Angela, for making my day. Well, and look, you know, the University of Alabama, as our beloved guide, Angel, described it, is like a cruise liner, right? Like, it is definitely its own planet, its own universe. It is a massive university with a very long history and distinctive culture. We learned a lot about the student government. Y'all, this student government is like nothing you've ever seen. They have a Supreme Court. The president has a nicer office than I've ever had in my life. Like, it is in tense. And then you layer on what they call the machine, which is the sorority and fraternity culture at University of Alabama. Then you go to a football game with the marching band, the million dollar band. And you have also my personal obsession, the Crimsonettes, which is their baton team. I really want to join, but apparently you have to start going to school and you're like three. I think I might have missed the boat. I don't know. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna dream the impossible dream. Like there's just a lot there, y'all. There's a lot there, and I love it. I love a scene. I love a layered culture. I love all of it. I think this game was such a reminder being able to actually go to an Alabama football game and go to the elephant stomp beforehand where the million dollar band kind of has a pep rally for everybody. Like it just reminded me that sports, while they can bring out our worst, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) also serve such a useful purpose in meeting psychological needs that we just don't have a lot of places to meet. Adults just need a place to yell. We do. We need a place to yell that is not at our children or in an angry way. And it is so nice to have a place to yell at games. We need to identify with people. We need those little expressions like Roll Tide. It's fun to be on the beach in the summer wearing my Reds hat and have somebody come up and say, like, go Reds Reds. or Joey's looking great or whatever, right? It's fun to be out in a U.K. sweatshirt in Kentucky on the weekend and hear, go Big Blue. Like, let's go Cats. Like, those pieces of community that require very little explanation are just like shorthands to remind us that we're in something together. And I think we need that. Listen, y'all need to move through the world like me, which is like completely disconnected from the outcome of anything, but enjoying the culture. I don't care about sports. I would have felt no different had the uh, New Mexico State team beat Alabama. (laughs) I would have still had a blast. They did not, for the record, by like 50 points. But you know, I don't. I li- I like sports culture. I care not at all who wins or loses, which you know. Now it's the only experience I've had, but I highly recommend it. You know, I, I had such a good time at the football game. I had amazing barbecue. I loved seeing what everybody was wearing at the elephant stomp. We stood in front of a very proud mother of a, a tuba player, I believe. It's the instrument he was playing. So it's just, I just love it. I do. I love that connective tissue. You know, I particularly love it because the stakes are non-existent for me personally. And I think it is, you know, it was fun to say roll tide about literally everything. Can't get through a parking barrier, roll tide. Meal was great, roll tide. You're sad, roll tide. Doesn't matter. I love it. I think that's great. I think we need more phrases like that. And, you know, the pride that they feel in their community, I think is really lovely. The students were having a great time. Some were having um, um, an enhanced time. But that, listen, that's going to happen at every football game. And so it just, we... I couldn't. I cannot say enough nice things about our guide Angel and the Student Government Association, and which the game was so fun. Even my husband, I can't believe I'm going to tell this on the internet. He got me so mad at me. He resisted because he is a University of Georgia fan, and the stakes are not non-existent for him. But he did say "Roll Tide" a single time, one time. That's all we got out of him, a single time. But it was fun. Well, I was breaking it down with Chad when I got home. I so badly wanted Chad to go on this trip with me, and we couldn't work the childcare out. So when we got home, I said, let me talk about Roll Tide as Alabama's version of Cheers, which I love because it just applies to everything. And he said, it's just such a good verb. It's just a better verb than go. Yeah. Like you just, it's just such an exceptionally useful and kind of like remarkably zen when you think about the context verb. (laughs) Things do just roll one way or another. But I agree with you. My experience with sports is I like for the stakes to be just high enough to really be part of the community. Like, I like being a little sad when we lose, but not so high that I ever am bringing a level of stress into my life about sports. Well, listen, I'm always sad for whoever loses because I like pe- I like both teams equally. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm always like, oh, well, I feel bad for them. Nicholas kept going, I just want both teams to have fun today. <laughs> I just want both teams to have fun today. Uh, that's where I am perpetually, no matter who's playing. Yeah, and it is fun to see how people interact around sports. When we were posting pictures from being there, we did get some, like, interesting DMs. And I always interpret those kinds of comments through the lens of, like, good, healthy fun because I Mm -hmm. don't have strong feelings about sports. But I'm pretty sure that they are not all intended that way, and that is okay. (laughs) Hey, I told everybody, you want to pay us to come to Auburn or Clemson or wherever and speak to your student government and come enjoy your games? I will learn your phrases and your customs and your traditions and happily participate. 100%. Well, thank you again, especially to Angel, who is the best of humanity and who has a great Mm -hmm. phrase for all you parents of, you know, young adults out there. As Sarah mentioned, for people who are having an enhancement to their good time at the game, he says, please do not add to or subtract from the population today. Yes. 
It's I'm brilliant. Gonna, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that every time my boys start leaving the house. Please do not add to or subtract from the population. Love you. Have a good time. Yep. Have the best day available to you. Please do not add. We need to put those two together. Have the best day available to you. Please do not add or subtract from the population. So thank you to the University of Alabama. Thank you to Angel. Thank you to the Student Government Association. Of course, thank you for listening to us today, especially if you're not a University of Alabama fan. Godspeed. Uh, we're always so grateful to have you join us, and we would be grateful for you to join us on Thursday night for our first annual holiday huddle. Tickets are available through the link in our show notes, and they will give you access for up to seven days after the event, as we said at the top of the show, if you have purchased it before. So don't delay. Don't delay. Thursday's the day. We'll be back in your ears on Friday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Megan Hart and Maggie Pinton are our community engagement managers. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau, Lily McClure, David McWilliams, Jared Minson, Emily Neasley, Danny Osmond, The Cousins, Tawny Peterson, Tracy Putoff, Sarah Ralph, Jeremy Sequoia, Katie Steigers, Karen True, Annika Uveline, Nick and Elisa Valelli, Amy Whited, Melinda Johnston, Ashley Thompson, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. Sorry that I like rang the bell of my lamp. My my drink there at the end. It's a little distracting.